Well, beloved, we come to a new sermon series this week. Over the next few months, we'll be in the book of Hebrews. So let's begin by turning to Hebrews chapter 1, and I will read for us the first three verses. Hebrews chapter 1. It's found on page 941 of your pew Bible. So if you need a Bible, feel free to refer to that. And if you don't have a Bible, feel free free to take a pew Bible home with you as well. We'd love to bless you with God's Word and give you opportunity to read more on your own. So page 941, beginning in verse 1, Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Please join me in prayer again. Dear Father, we pray that you would bless us as we come to your word. We pray that you would strengthen us, grant us ears to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what better thing are you searching for? You know, we pursue many better things. We pursue better grades at school. We look for better jobs with better pay, better prospects. You know, we upgrade ourselves to get better skills. We buy better cars. We move into better homes. We hunt for better food, travel on better holidays. You know, we want better entertainment. We exercise and diet for better health, for better looks. You know, we seek ways to have better relationships better marriages, to be better parents, as well as to to have better children. Well, we can't change them, but we hope that they'll get better. (laughs) No, we even look for better religious and spiritual experiences. our, Our constant quest for better reveals our deeper fears and desires. We pursue better because we desire better control, better comfort, better security, You know, we desire more meaning, better direction in life, better purpose. You know, we desire better well-being, better pleasure, better peace. You know, of course, if we don't get what we want, we are fearful of disappointment, of failure. You know, this quest for better often leaves us rather worried and anxious, We we are in a constant state of restlessness and discontentment, always looking for the better thing. You know, it's a proverbial, grass is always greener on the other side syndrome, isn't it? You know, this quest for better can fill us with envy, with greed, with selfishness as we look out just for ourselves. You know, worst of all, our yearning for better can often draw us away from God and the gospel. So think about this, how might we be tempted to chase after other things that we think are better than Jesus? Now, what's tempting you to find something better than Jesus this morning? 
Today, we begin a new sermon series on the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. You know, one of the first questions we often ask when we come to the book of Hebrews is, who wrote it? Well, God, in short. God is the ultimate author of Hebrews, but the human writer is unknown to us. You know, he remains anonymous. He's, he's not named in, in the text. Uh, but we know that it, it probably isn't Paul or any of the other apostles. You know, he, he says in chapter 2 of his letter that uh, he's not an eyewitness to Jesus, but he received this message from others who had heard it firsthand from the Lord. So, so we know as much that this author of Hebrews was probably not an eyewitness like the other apostles were to Jesus' earthly ministry. You know, some think that Barnabas or Apollos may have written the letter. You know, like them, uh, the author of Hebrews was a friend of Timothy's. And the author of Hebrews clearly knew the Old Testament scriptures very, very well. You know, but, but in the end, we have to agree with the ancient scholar uh, Origen, who, who said, who actually wrote the epistle, only God knows. I think what's more important for us than trying to figure out who wrote Hebrews is to understand why Hebrews was written and what it has to say to us today. You know, the letter was originally written to a mix of Jewish and Gentile Christians, possibly belonging to the church in Rome. Uh, these believers were in particular spiritual danger. Now, they, they were tempted to avoid trouble and trials. How? Uh, by stopping to believe the gospel and returning to uh, the comfort of Judaism. You know, it, it seemed to these Christians, these original recipients of Hebrews, it seemed better to them uh, to go back to Old Testament practices with its priesthood, temple worship, and animal sacrifices. You know, most of us are probably not thinking of reverting to these Old Testament practices. So, so how does Hebrews speak to us? But I put it to us that like the original, original audience of Hebrews, we are also tempted to turn away from Jesus to what we imagine to be better things. You know, it may not be the Old Testament practices, but what better things may, be, may we be tempted to turn to? You know, career, relationships, wealth, success, you know, anything else that we may be tempted to put in the place of Jesus. You know, and turning away from Jesus doesn't always involve something dramatic. Right? Turning, away of Je turning away from Jesus doesn't mean we suddenly apostatize in a shocking, dramatic way. You know, more often than not, turning away from Jesus involves a slow fade. It's a gradual decline in our affection and zeal for Jesus. You know, you, we, you know, do you realize that we don't need to do anything to turn away from Jesus? We simply do nothing. This was the case of the first recipients of Hebrews. They were growing tired. They're growing tired. Tiredness is why we turn away from Jesus. You know, like them, how might we be growing tired of following Jesus? You know, are, are our hearts distracted? Do you feel your heart getting colder 
and colder, you know, over a matter of degrees across time with regards to Jesus? Have we become dull of hearing God's word? And maybe we think, yeah, I've heard it all before. Nothing quite new. It sounds the same again and again. You know, how might we be struggling with a kind of spiritual lethargy? I mean, we, we, you know, we can still do, we still go through the motions, but, but perhaps we, we are getting sluggish where the things that used to capture our hearts and affections no longer do. Or perhaps we've grown comfortable living with our sins instead of putting them to death. We cohabit with our sins instead of leaving them behind or kicking them out of the house. And we've stopped striving after holiness. You know, Christ-likeness is no longer a goal that we put before ourselves. And we've become disinterested in our growth in Christ and indifferent to the health, the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters in the church. Now, we'd rather seek what's easiest, what's the most comfortable, what's the most convenient for ourselves than to do spiritual good to others by investing time and energy to build someone else up in the faith. You know, how might we be drifting ever slowly but surely away from the gospel? You know, Hebrews is written for us because we struggle with these things, don't we? You know, Hebrews is not like reading. Uh, this, this is chock full of Bible and theology. You know, Hebrews helps us understand how the whole Bible fits together uh, by showing us how Jesus fulfills the Old Testament. For, for example, you know, we've just come off our sermon series in Exodus, and as you read the book of Hebrews, you find many connections between Exodus and Hebrews. Uh, for instance, the, the instructions for tabernacle worship ultimately point to Christ, and Hebrews will explain how these instructions point us to Jesus. You know, Hebrews contains a lot of solid food, but, but Hebrews is not a dry theological treatise. No, Hebrews shows how theology must be practical, immensely practical, and, and how our practice must be shaped by our theology. And to be faithful Christians, we need both, both truth and life. You know, Hebrews reads actually less like a letter, but more like a sermon. I mean, some have pointed out that Hebrews is one of the earliest examples of an expositional sermon that we have in Christian history. Now, in, in this letter that, that reads like a sermon, uh, the author warns and encourages, he intersperses uh, portions of exposition of Old Testament texts with a lot of ex exhortation, warning, admonishment, rebuke, encouragement. Now, it's like he's applying the word to God's people. Uh, that's why the, the author of Hebrews calls it a word of exhortation. Chapter 13, a word of exhortation. It's a written sermon, if you will, calling us to hold fast to the gospel. What's the main message of Hebrews? It can be summed up in three words. Jesus is better. There you go. That, that, that's a good summary of the main message of, of Hebrews. Jesus is better. You know, the word better pops up again and again across the letter. 
Hebrews urges us to press on in Christ because He is better than the old covenant law, the old covenant priesthood and sacrifices. Jesus is better than any sin or idol that we're tempted to cling on to. Jesus is better than anything we try to replace Him with. You know, our, our physical eyes are attracted by light. You know, you know if, if you look at a, a page, our eyes tend to gravitate to the white space on the page. And in, in a similar way, our hearts are attracted by glory. Our hearts are attracted by glory. Uh, the trouble is we are often too easily satisfied by fake glory. Hebrews wants us to see true glory. Jesus is better. Hebrews wants us to see the all-surpassing glory of Jesus Christ, that we might treasure Him more. That's the point of Hebrews. We who are in danger of drifting away from Jesus, we're supposed to treasure Him more, to get an even bigger view of Him. That's the point of Hebrews. Because only by beholding the glorious Son will we press on in faithfulness to Him. Now, Hebrews jump straight in without any greeting or introduction. You know, there are no pleasantries in the opening verses of Hebrews. Rather, the opening verses that we've just read, they set the stage for the rest of the letter by stating up front the glory of Jesus. Jesus is better. And this is the big idea of these three verses that we'll look at this morning. God has spoken by His Son, Jesus, our prophet, priest, and king. That's the big idea. So let's begin. Number one, God has ultimately spoken to us by His Son. You know, some think that even if God exists, He is distant, disengaged, disinterested. Others think that we are meant to figure God out on our own, that there isn't a single objective truth that we can state uh, decisively about God. You know, something that God is who we make him out to be. But verses 1 and 2 in our text refute both of these ideas. Uh, these verses establish the fact that God is not far from us and he's not silent. No, God, God has spoken. And he has graciously taken the initiative to speak first, to make himself known to us. Verses 1 and 2 differentiate how God has spoken in the past from how He has now spoken in these last days. Basically, God has spoken in two stages. In the first, which is the era of the Old Testament, God spoke by the prophets at various times and in various ways. For example, God spoke to Moses at the mount with storm and thunder. And then God speaks to Elijah in the low whisper of a still small voice. God spoke at different times in different ways through different prophets. You know, but, but if you read the Old Testament, that there isn't a single, final, definitive word from God. You know, it, it kind of builds up progressively. That's what's happening in the Old Testament. You know, the point that Hebrews is making about the Old Testament is not that it is irrelevant or wrong, but the author of Hebrews is saying that the Old Testament is partial. It's incomplete. You know, it's like reading a novel and not reading to the end. 
That, that, that's like what the Old Testament is. You know, give me, let me give you another illustration. You know, for example, your boss, your boss sends you an email. Don't check your phones now, please. You know, your boss sends you an email outlining a project that he wants you to work on. Then he gives you a phone call to tell you more about the project he wants you to work on. And then that culminates in a meeting in person with your boss about the project. You know, what your boss said over email is true. What your boss tells you over the call, true as well. But, but you know that those messages are incomplete, right? You're, you're waiting for that in-person meeting where he tells you fully what he expects from you. you know, same thing. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying. You know, you email, phone call, and then in person. That, that's what's happening here in these first two verses of Hebrews. You know, the, the Old Testament is an unfinished story that awaits an ending. But now, Hebrews says that the second stage of God's revelation has already arrived. God has sent His Son to finish the story, to complete it. You know, when the Bible speaks of the last days, uh, that, that, that phrase, the last days, doesn't mean a time in the future from us, immediately before Jesus' coming. You know, that, that's not how the Bible uses the phrase, the last days. In the Bible, the phrase, the last days, refers to this whole period of time between Jesus' first coming and His second coming. We are living in the last days. These have been the last days for quite a while now. The last days have already begun because Jesus is God's supreme revelation. He is God's final word to us. He completes the story. And all the promises, the, the expectations, the hopes of the Old Testament, they, they converge on Jesus. They find their yes and amen in Him. You know, my wife sometimes reminds me that I'm growing old or growing older. You know, because when I talk to younger people, I, I, I notice I've started to begin my sentences with back in my day. <laughs> you know, back in my day. You know, when I was in the army, back in my day. You know, so, so I realized, yeah, sign of age. You know, those of us who are older, you know, they, you know, we like reminding younger people of how they have it better now, right? You know, back in my day, it was really tough, but you guys have it so much easier now. Actually, that's, that's the argument that Hebrews is using. Right? He's saying that, hey, back in the day, when God spoke through the prophets, you know, it, it was incomplete. We didn't get a full revelation from God. But now, we have it way better because God has come in His Son and He's spoken through Jesus Christ. You know, Hebrews wants Christians like us who live in the time of fulfillment now, today, to realize how much better we have it now that Christ has come. We have the amazing privilege of living in an age of fulfillment, of seeing God keep His promises through His Son. God has spoken by His Son. You know, this is a personal message for you and me. God has spoken and He's calling each one of us to repent and to believe in His Son. You know, therefore, don't be dull of hearing, but listen very carefully 
pay careful attention to Jesus. Don't go back to the types and shadows of the Old Testament now that the fullness of God's revelation has come. Don't forsake the gospel for anything else because there's nothing better. You will not find anything better. Don't presume to expect an extra word or or sign from God. Don't say things like, God, I'll believe you if you show me this or you do this for me. No, God has spoken. He's spoken by His Son, finally and fully. will, Will we not trust Him today? You know, beloved, do we feel as though God is silent? Every time we, we, we struggle with God's silence, you know, remember these verses, call these verses to mind again and again. God has spoken. He's not silent. God has spoken. You know, we can be assured that God is not far from us. He's not distant or disinterested, however we may feel in the moment. And how do we know that? Because of Jesus. He has spoken definitively in His Son. Jesus is the Word made flesh, and He's drawn near. He's come and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again, God has spoken, but will we listen? Jesus is the centre and climax of God's revelation. The Old Testament looks forward to His coming, The New Testament looks back to his earthly ministry and also looks forward to his second coming. Jesus is the pivot, the hinge, around around which all of God's revelation turns. Now Jesus continues to speak to us through his finished word, the Bible. Therefore, Scripture is our final authority. You know, beloved, one of the most encouraging things we, we should realize is that the Bible is sufficient. You know, God has not left us in the dark. God hasn't left us to figure things out on our own, to try to make sense of life or how we should live or do this or that. The Bible is sufficient. It is enough to equip us for every good work, to live a life that is pleasing to God. And Jesus leads us through His Word. And this is how we know God's will for us. You know, the fact that God has spoken His final word in His Son reminds us not to go beyond the Bible. You know, our experiences, our ideas, our impressions, our feelings, they're not finally authoritative. You know, don't, don't, don't make decisions based on how you feel only. But go back to Scripture. Think about what God is saying to us in His Word. You know, don't expect some special sign from God to guide you. No, trust instead in the Word of Christ to direct our decisions and to guide our steps. You know, seek godly counsel from other Christians who point us back to the truths of God's Word. God has spoken to us by His Son. You know, why, why must we listen to His Son? What is it about His Son that commands our attention. Hebrews, uh, verses, verses 2 and 3 in, in Hebrews 1, uh, go on to present seven glorious truths about the Son. Seven, I think purposeful, because it points to Jesus' perfections. 
Now, these, are, these are the seven truths. Uh, number one, he's the heir of all things. Number two, the creator of the world. Number three, radiance of the glory of God. Number four, the exact imprint of God's nature. Number five, he upholds the universe. Number six, made purification for sins. And number seven, exalted to God's right hand. Seven glorious truths of the perfect son. Anyway, if, if you think about these seven truths, you put them together, these seven truths reveal that Jesus is the king, the prophet, and the priest we need. King, prophet, priest. So let, let's begin by just unpacking that more to think about how Jesus is king, prophet, and priest. So uh, number two, Jesus is the king we need. Jesus' kingship is described in three ways. First, uh, the, these verses tell us God has appointed Jesus the heir of all things. Uh, he, he's quoting from Psalm 2, verse 8, which says this of the Messiah, Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. So the Messiah in Psalm 2 will possess creation, the nations. Well, by, by quoting Psalm 2, uh, Hebrews is telling us that Jesus fulfills the covenant God made with David in the Old Testament. You know, in the Old Testament, God promised David that one of David's descendants would rule as king forever, would possess the nations. Well, Jesus is that man. Jesus is that king. And right here, Hebrews exhorts us to worship Jesus because he is God's promised king. All of creation belongs to him. We are his. He owns us. He rules over us. You know, second, God created the world through His Son. King Jesus rightfully rules over all things because He made all things. He's fully God because only God can create something from nothing. You know, John's Gospel makes a similar point about Jesus. You know, it says, The Word was God. All things were made through Him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So we ought to listen to Jesus because he is our creator, the, ones who, the one who made us in God's image. You know, the third aspect of Jesus' kingship is that Jesus not only made all things, but he upholds the universe by the word of his power. You know, Jesus is not some uh, watch, you know, like a, you know, people liken this deistic God to like a watchmaker who winds up the world and just leaves it on his own. Jesus is not like that. He creates the world and he is still very much involved in sustaining all of creation. He is in the world working all things out, upholding the universe by the word of his power. The Son's word is powerful. It literally sustains everything. You know, friends, do we realize that without Jesus... Everything falls apart. Your life, my life, we have no breath. Existence as we know it will fall apart. That's what Hebrews is saying. Without Jesus, we have nothing. Therefore, we should listen to him. You know, Colossians 1.17 puts it this way. In him, in Christ, all things hold together. Jesus is like the, the cosmic glue that holds all things. He's sovereign. He controls all things. 
He works all things out according to His purpose and plan. Isn't this humbling to consider? You know, we, 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 we proudly imagine that the world revolves around us. Now, I like to think that I'm indispensable, but I'm not. This world goes on fine without me. You know, we like to think that we can control our lives, that we have the power of self-determination, but we don't. We don't. You know, we can't, we can't control our lives, let alone the lives of our family and friends, as much as we try. Here, we are reminded of this basic truth. We owe our life and existence to King Jesus. He sustains us even as He sustains the entire universe we live in. I, th- I think this is a good parenting lesson you know, for those of us who are parents. Parents, we, we think we can control our children, but we can't. We entrust our children to King Jesus. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. We seek to be faithful. We, we teach our children. We raise them to know God, but we can't finally control or manipulate their lives. We can't determine the outcome of their lives. That's way, way beyond our pay grade. All things were created by Jesus. All things are sustained through him and all things will reach their intended end in him. It's humbling, but it's also very comforting, isn't it? It's comforting to know that Jesus is in charge. You know, the word uphold in our text is in present continuous tense, right? Which means that Jesus is continually upholding, sustaining, ever working his sovereign will for the eternal good of his people. Because he upholds all things, he will not fail to complete the work he began in us. We don't have to fear. We can trust in Christ. Listen to Him. We don't have to fear disease. We don't have to fear death. It will ultimately all end well for God's people. And therefore, Jesus is able to say these words to us. You know, if you remember Matthew 10, Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus upholds the universe. And remember this, when we are tempted to be drawn away by sin, by idols, whom we think will give us what we want. You know, idols are terrible masters. We think we control them, but they end up controlling us. For example, if we idolize our work, chances are our work will begin to dominate our lives, will shape what we think about, will make us even lose sleep. Idols overpromise and underdeliver. But these verses remind us that we are safe in the hands of King Jesus. He is our assurance, He's our hope, He's our protection, He's our security. He's the king. He's the king we need. Is he your king? Jesus is also the prophet we need. Now, the Old Testament prophets were God's messengers. They revealed God by faithfully speaking what God told them to say. 
You know, but Jesus is more than just a messenger for God. He perfectly and fully shows us God because He Himself is God. Yeah, I, I think we get this, don't we? If we want to get to know a person really well, what do we do? And we can hear f- about Him from other people, but the best thing for us to do is to hear directly from the person himself or herself. That's the best way to get to know a person. In, in a similar way, who better to reveal God to us than God Himself? Verse 3 states two key truths about who Jesus is, the essential nature of His being, which fully qualifies Him to reveal God to us. He's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Recall what we read in Exodus 34, and this was preached on some weeks ago. In Exodus 34, after Moses meets with God, his face shone, because he had been talking with God, so much so that the people of Israel were afraid to come near to him. But the point here is that Jesus' glory is far greater than the shining face of Moses. You know, unlike Moses, Jesus doesn't merely reflect God's glory. He radiates it. He shines forth God's glory, for he himself is glorious. You know, Moses is like the moon that reflects the sun's light, Jesus is the sun itself in all of its brilliance and brightness. You know, the, the, the word imprint, the, the second image that Hebrews uses, the word imprint, uh, it's an interesting word. I think it, it's found only here in the rest of the, in the, rest of the New Testament. Uh, the word imprint refers to the image made by a stamp or a seal. You kind of press a stamp onto something and it leaves an image, an imprint. You know, coins in the, in the New Testament times were pressed with the image of the Roman empress. That, that's an imprint. You know, in fact, the, the Greek word imprint is where we derive the English word character. Now, to use a more modern example, a, a photograph is like the exact imprint of what someone looks like. And in the same way, Jesus is the exact imprint of God. He's God's perfect likeness. His character and nature are identical with God's. And this is the reason why when the Apostle Philip asked Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, you know, what did Jesus say to him? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why? Because we are the same in nature in character. Therefore, the only way for us to know God is by knowing His Son. Jesus is the prophet we need because only He can reveal God fully to us. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Only the Son can show us the glory of the Father, His grace, His mercy, His steadfast love, His patience, His compassion, His faithfulness, holiness, His righteousness. Only God, only Jesus can show us all that about God. You know, friend, do you you desire to know God? You want to know Him better? Do you desire to grow in godliness? 
Well, it is only by beholding the glory of the Son that we know God and become more and more like Him. You know, in, in, in 2 Corinthians 3, it says that as we behold the glory of God in Jesus Christ, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to the next. You know, the only way for us to grow as Christians is to keep looking to Jesus, to keep beholding His glory more and more. Look to Jesus, you know, worship, trust, and obey the glorious Son. You know, just as the old hymn says, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. You know, therefore, pay careful attention to Jesus. You know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, God the Father said this of Jesus, right? this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. Listen to Him. You know, may God shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God where in the face of His Son. If we have come to know Jesus, then how are we reflecting His glory to others? If we bear the name of Christ, then we should also bear His image of love, grace, and mercy. Finally, Jesus is the priest we need. Because of our helplessness, we need a king to protect us, to lead us, to fight our battles for us, to win the war for us. Jesus, the king who rules over us, because of our ignorance, we need Jesus, the final prophet, to reveal God to us. And because of our guilt and shame, we need Jesus, the perfect priest, to save us. But when we behold the glory of God, we, we are strangely drawn to Him, but at the same time, His glory terrifies us. We are repelled by His glory. Why? Because we have sinned against the holy and righteous God. And we know that we will not stand up in the full light of His glory. And we were made to worship Him, but instead of glorifying Him, we have all turned aside to our own ways. God is just to judge us for our rebellion against Him. You know, as long as we are not right with God, we will keep searching for ways to deal with with our guilt and shame. Some try to harden the conscience by denying outright that there's such a thing as sin or judgment. Now, some throw themselves into their work hoping that they can be busy enough to forget the burden of guilt and shame. Some try to distract themselves with pleasure and entertainment to escape into a different world. Some try to do good works, hoping to earn enough merit to hopefully outweigh their guilt. But the author of Hebrews reminds us that none of these things will work. Jesus is better than any of our vain attempts at self-help. God has spoken to us by His Son, not just in word, but in action. I, I think one of the striking things about Hebrews, you know, as you read Hebrews, 
So surprisingly, the author of Hebrews doesn't quote Jesus' words from the Gospels. But what does the author of Hebrews focus on again and again? It's the cross work of Christ. Hebrews is making the argument that God has spoken to us through the finished work of his son. Jesus has died and has risen from the grave. That's what the author of Hebrews wants us to realize again and again. That's how God has spoken, not just in word, but in action. God's, God, whose grace abounds to undeserving sinners like us, has sent his beloved son to save guilty rebels. You notice how these seven glorious truths about the Son, they culminate with this glorious truth of Jesus' sacrificial death on the cross. Verse 3, after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus is our creator, our revealer, as well as our redeemer. Now, Jesus bore God's wrath in the place of all who would repent and believe in him. When we trust in Jesus to save us, he exchanges our guilt for, for his perfect righteousness. Now, Jesus offered up himself without blemish to God to purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know, if, if we struggle with guilt and shame, because of things done or left undone, you know, th this is the only remedy for our guilt and shame. Jesus purifies our conscience. Only Jesus can make us truly clean and right with God. Turn to Jesus today. Turn to Him today. Listen to Him. Turn to Him today and find rest for your souls. The, the Old Testament priests had to stand daily offering the same animal sacrifices again and again. You know, this was a sobering reminder to Old Testament Israel that it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But notice what, what it says here, Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down. You know, very, very assuring words. Our high priest sat down. He sat down because his work was done. His work was done. He offered himself once for all time. Jesus paid it all and sat down. Mission accomplished. It is finished. Now, if you struggle with guilt and shame, bring that to Christ. Confess your sins to him. Recognize your need for a saviour. Trust him to save you. Know that he has finished the work. He is the only saviour that can do that. He is the only saviour we need. The once crucified saviour is now the exalted Lord, seated at God's right hand in glory. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has defeated Satan's sin sin and death. Therefore, we crown him with many crowns, the lamb who has sat down upon the throne. Jesus is the perfect prophet, priest, and king who meets our deepest need. Repent and believe in him. Now, beloved, lay our burdens down at the feet of Jesus. 
He invites us to rest in His finished work. You know, full atonement. Can it be? Hallelujah. What a Savior. You know, my, my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. God has spoken to us by His Son. Don't neglect such a great salvation. Don't become dull of hearing. Don't drift away. Don't trust or hope in anything else. Jesus is better. Jesus is enough. Let's pray together.